Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Welcome in, everybody, to this Groundhog Day edition, February 2nd, 2012 edition of Two Guys and a Mic. This is Joel Radwanski flying along with Dave Olson today. He'll be producing the show. The coach, John Cohn, will be back tomorrow. So I know there's plenty of people probably sick of me by now. Can't wait for Coach to get back. He'll be back tomorrow in this seat, and everything will be well and good. It'll be the normal Two Guys and a Mic. But today, it's just me with Dave Olson, Two Guys and a Mic, 888 888- Four six three sixty seven four eight. I accidentally knocked that down. I accidentally closed it. So, would you like me to come in there and fix it for you? And we're live on here, and uh, what's happening here is Dave Olson has to coddle me through the show because I accidentally closed our live stream video. So now I won't have, know if the pictures are up uh, for the stuff that we're talking about today. And there's plenty uh, to talk about today because uh, plenty of news of the weird, uh, and, but it's also Groundhog's Day. And this is one thing that has always kind of baffled me, how so many people in this country take so much uh, like heed in what some... Furry Roten has to say about whether winter's going to last another uh, six months. So, Puxatawney Phil in Pennsylvania, for those of you who don't know, he's I guess he's the official uh, groundhog that determines whether or not there's going to be six more weeks uh, of winter. Well, he saw his shadow, went back in, so I guess that means there's going to be six more weeks of winter. But if that means that we're going to get one more uh, snowfall, one more day below zero and a bunch of 50-degree weather until about March 15th. I have no problem with that. Winter's been awfully good so far this year. So to that groundhog, I believe in you this year. Yes, I want six more weeks of this type of winter. Yeah, and you know we're going to get a snowstorm on Cubs opening day. Is that That's what's coming. You, you, this is this is no doubt. You're, you're 100% right. And I also want to tell anybody else, if you want to do like an outdoor school trip, like if you're a teacher, the best day to plan one is is the day after Cubs opening day. Because what's going to happen is no matter what happens, at both ballparks, it, it seems to happen more at Wrigley than at, at Comiskey. But what what happens is on all uh, northern cities, or most cities actually, if, the, if there's a fear of rain for the first week of the season, they always have an open date after the the home opener because some people are really strange and they have to go to the first game. And if that first game gets rained out, they move all those tickets to just that open date that's the day behind it. Well, perennially, in the city of Chicago, opening day is horrible. And the day after where there should be a game played, just like so the baseball gods are like, owners quit trying to make too much money off of this so you can resell like a double uh, opening day game possibly. And just have a game because there's it's always gorgeous and there's never a game on that day and the day the day of it's it's crazy how nasty game one is in uh, in the city of Chicago. I remember an opening day at Comiskey Park. It might have been '05 when they won one to nothing and ended up winning the World Series that year. 
or but legitimately the place was packed at the start of the game and by the end of the game there may have been 500 people in the crowd it was like basically snowing and it was like 30 degrees it was one of the worst days ever to go to a baseball game and next day it was like 50 and beautiful it's typical typical so uh but there is plenty to talk about in the world of sports, even though, you know, I'm kind of like a, a Kennedy assassination freak, and there's new evidence that came out about it, and, I've, and I do want to get to that. And and I do want to just uh, go out on a little bit on a, a like a, a podium and just talk to the 27% of Americans that still believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone on November 22nd, 1963. I, I, Lee Harvey Oswald definitely played a, a major role in the assassination of Kenny, but if 27, one out of four, more than one out of four people say, oh yes, he acted alone. My father was one of those guys. I argue with pretty much anybody that wants to argue with me about this. I, I love to do it. Besides my dad, I never did. And I'll, I'll get into why I never did it with my dad later when we, when we bring this up. But we're, we're going to start a little bit on some sports first. Now, the Peyton Manning interview was finally, uh, uh, finally, it finally came out. And I know one thing, uh, the first thing that he wanted to say was he really doesn't want to be a distraction or a bigger story than the Super Bowl. Now, saying that and meaning it is one thing. A lot of people say that stuff, just like I always say, oh, oh honey, I, I would never cheat on you. Well, guess what he does exactly when he leaves in front of you. I, I kind of believe, though, that Peyton Manning really doesn't want to do that, especially considering the Super Bowl is in Indianapolis. And let's face it, the only reason it's in Indianapolis is because they have the Lucas Oil Drum and that was built for Peyton Manning, the house that Manning built. And I'm sure he doesn't want to uh, kind of like put the finger in the face of Tom Brady because he and Tom Brady have been compared as the best quarterback. You know, he doesn't want to, you don't want to be like the outside guy, the, the bitter guy in that situation. And I'm sure he doesn't want to upstage his brother. There seems to be genuine love for, for his brother. They, they, they really do care about each other. So I don't believe that he is, is, genuinely trying to upstage anybody by doing this interview but i i I love the politicking and dave olson you're the you're my you're my eyes and ears out there because right now i i am doing nothing besides reading and and, and internet like uh research i was able to watch a bulls game yesterday just because uh, my girlfriend uh, basically determined to take over her brother's room other than that i I mean i haven't watched any television at all so uh, you've been my eyes and ears but uh, Peyton Manning is due $28 million if he's going to be on the roster for the Colts in the 2012 season. I don't know the exact date, but I know it's eight days before the trade you're allowed to trade again. So basically the Colts either cut him or pay him. And right now it looks like they're going to cut him. I mean, it's well, clearly it, pointing towards it. Yeah, that, that's where it's clearly pointing. pointing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because they're not going to make a decision mm-hmm. up until next week, which is, uh, I'm trying to find the exact date they're supposed to, he's owed the money. It's, well, no, it's in March though, isn't it? It's like March. Well, no, see, in like eight days he has a, a, a test with a doctor. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure it's in March when he's, when they have to pay him the money by. Okay. Or right. they have well, to release him. Well, Ursay came out this week and said, well, they're going to make a decision. They're going to talk to him next. They're going to sit down and they're going to talk next week. Well, Peyton Manning is, is owed that. If they're going to cut him, they should cut him now. Honestly, they should, heck, they should have a ceremony at Oil Drum Stadium, retire the Peyton Manning jersey as they also tear up the $28 million contract. Honestly, they should have some type of ceremony like that. I know that sounds kind of strange. Uh, and and then say Jim Irsay say I really think he should retire and that's the way he should wash his hands with it and wash his hands wash your hands with Peyton Manning who I believe is the the greatest quarterback I've ever seen 
So that's that's awful strange. It, it could end up like this. But when all I know is this is Peyton Manning, as you said, he said he wants to play again. Is that politicking for twenty eight million dollars? Is that politicking? Uh, you know, so for he can really get a job. And we started thinking about it. You know, like oh, there's going to be a bidding war for Peyton Manning. And then you threw the name out first, Daniel Schneider. Daniel Snyder is willing to pay for any prime piece. Prime pieces, and what I mean by that are a running back, a pass rusher, a cover corner. Those are the type of positions in football where if you're like, you know what, if we got to go get a free agent and pay for some because we haven't drafted well, those are the positions that you have to go out and do that. Well, quarterback is the kingpin of those of the four major positions yeah, in the NFL. Exactly, and Peyton Manning at 50% is still twice as good as any quarterback the Raiders have on their roster now. And the Raiders, okay, so the I'm, I'm sorry, the Redskins. But, but, the Redskins. but you said you said the Raiders, but you know what? The Raiders are like the type of they got a brand new GM and maybe they're like, "Hey, somebody wants Carson Palmer." And then they signed uh Peyton Manning. So the the I have never eliminated the Raiders in any trade or sign type of speculation, just for the simple fact is that's the team that always pulls off like the craziest stuff. Like the Raiders out of nowhere, just out of nowhere, they signed Carson Palmer like five days or like in a day. Was it was like out of nowhere they had just signed yeah, him yeah, a it was, trade? Yeah, it was out of nowhere. It was out of nowhere. And out of nowhere, who knows? Carson Palmer could be the quarterback of the New York Jets next year, and and Peyton Manning's the quarterback of the Raiders. Well, but yeah. then, but then it, also Peyton Manning could be the quarterback of the New York Jets next year. That, that was was that I wasn't leaving that one out. That was my yeah. next one. Okay, and uh, if that happens, I wouldn't it be just phenomenal if Peyton Manning truly was healthy, and you can see two. I mean, the Jets versus the Patriots, and the, that you get that going that battle twice a year, and the Manning brothers playing in New York together. Yeah, that'd be something else. The NFL would love that. <laughs> oh my I'd absolutely goodness. love that. And and as all football fans go, I just hope Peyton Manning is healthy. And and I don't want him out there playing and getting hurt again. That would be the worst thing for the league to have, you know, like one of their great stars ever go back out and truly get hurt in a like, you know, like the way Brett Favre went out, oh, another concussion, no knock on him, but like a neck injury where he might not be able to move properly the rest of his life, that is not good, not good whatsoever. So uh definitely on the what's up. But getting back to the who's going to sign him, there is no doubt Daniel Snyder will be in in the mix because the, the, the Redskins aren't that bad of a team. they got pretty decent talent. But Rex Grossman and Jonathan Beck are their quarterbacks. They're in the NFC East, which is nowhere near as good as everybody thinks. Oh, the Eagles with Michael Vick. Yeah, Michael Vick is his next year has already missed five games. We know that. And by the time the playoffs start, it'll be so beat up. So when they're 11 and five next year and they're improved and they finally are the team of destiny, they'll fall apart in the playoffs because and they can't stop the run. Okay, so the Cowboys, Cowboys have the most talent that they never take advantage of. The Giants, well, the Giants that you know they're gonna. Half of next season, we don't know if it's the beginning or the end of it, especially if they win the Super Bowl, it'll probably be the beginning, are going to poop in their hands. The Redskins, when Daniel Schneider truly thinks he's in it, he will throw money at Peyton Manning. So it doesn't matter if we all think that the Redskins are far away, further away than Peyton Manning. Daniel Schneider's thinking exactly the way I just, I just said it to you. And, and he will pay Peyton Manning. It's as simple as that. He would probably. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's, that's really where it starts and ends. I mean, there, but some of the other teams that we did bring up, I mean, they, they might get into the mix. Uh, but outside of the 
Redskins, who else in the NFC needs a quarterback? I mean, the Cardinals. Oh, yes, yes, definitely without a doubt, because Kevin Cobb it has been, it's proved that he's a very good backup quarterback in the NFL. Okay. What, what about this? This is, this might be a long shot that, that I've considered. I don't know if the Texans are sold on Matt Schaub. It's, Why not? They can release Matt Schaub and sign Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. That's interesting. Peyton that's Manning interesting. on the but, Texans. But, but, but once again, you, you, Schaub, before he got injured, was having a pretty solid season. You know, he was. He was. And he's still a young guy. Got a lot of years ahead of him. Are you going to risk that on a guy coming back from a major injury? Okay. I don't know. So I don't know. So the Dolphins are another team that would be in search of a quarterback. I don't see Peyton Manning going there because I, I think they're so far away. But in the NFL, it's 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 crazy. All of a sudden, you get a pass rusher and 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 a and an offensive line coach that all of a sudden has five guys working together, and, and then you throw Peyton Manning in the mix, yeah. and you're eleven and five, and you're in the playoffs. What about the Chiefs? The Chiefs are the team where he has to go. Because Jamal Charles will be back next year. Don't expect Jamal Charles to average 6.7 yards a carry like he did in 2010. But if it wasn't for a Detroit Lion being cheap and dragging him down out of bounds and tearing his Achilles. Uh, oh, the Lions. Oh, what, oh, the Lions were in a cheap play that hurt somebody. What a surprise. I, I, I didn't mean to target the Lions. Uh, yes, I, yes, I was, by the way. Uh, if the, if Jamal Charles, is back next year and healthy. And I would have to say with modern science, it truly is amazing how well these guys recover from devastating injuries, even like Achilles ruptures. You had Peyton Manning. The Chiefs, the Phil Emery, the new Bears GM, has done such a phenomenal job of loading that team up with, with uh, draft talent. The Chiefs would be an excellent choice for them. And let's face it, uh, everybody has made a big deal out of Reggie Wayne and... Pierre Garcon and Austin Colley and, and Dallas Clark, how good were they with Arvlosky and Painter this year? They the the Colts have not had they've had one good receiver since Peyton Manning has been there. It's Marvin Harrison. Yeah, it's it yeah it's easy to excel when you got a quarterback that's going to put it in your numbers every single time he throws the ball and and every time you're open. Yeah, it's nobody comes back to the huddle and says Peyton, I was wide open. Peyton will say, yeah, but this guy was actually more open than you. That's why he got the. But nobody ever, no one ever complains. They know they go back into the film room and he's like, ninety five percent of the time he threw it to the right guy, which is half the battle. That's why he can have an average arm. Peyton Manning has an average arm in the NFL. Average. With, with I, you could, right, right, but yeah. but but he sees down the field better than anybody else in mm-hmm. plays. So and that and he's a good teammate. All stuff. So we'll see. I know you don't. You're you're a little leery about the teammate. You're a little you're a little I, leery I, about I, that. I I don't like I don't like his I don't like his personality. I don't like the way he conducts himself. Um, that, that that's me. And it, you know, as we discussed the other day, that's all a matter of perspective. Now there's the off the field rumors about Pate Manning. I'm, I've always heard him. I heard him from people that were from Indianapolis. And over the last like two years, it's been way out into the public. I mean, it's been everywhere you go. You just you just put up Peyton Manning infidelity, and, like this whole open marriage thing and all that stuff. And I, I, it's I don't know. He's been almost untouchable, untouchable. How many other athletes could have like stories like this about him and no, not even brought up? And he's still you, you you're gonna watch the Super Bowl and he'll have more FaceTime. Then legitimately, eighty-five percent of the players in the game will have more face time. Then, the, but that stuff all comes out eventually. Michael Jordan was doing the same thing, and none of that stuff really came out until after he retired. Yeah, the, yeah, and then yeah, especially when he showed some uh, when he showed some like holes as like a general manager picking Kwame Brown. It was it was funny. It's isn't it crazy how if you're on the top 
peak of what you're doing, you can do so many other stuff. And sometimes you'll still get knocked down like Michael Vick and having a whole that's that's totally different. If you're doing stuff that is maybe not illegal, but a little bit questionable, like cheating on your wife or whatever, you're maybe doing drugs or all this. There's so many athletes that did drugs for years and got a pass. Uh, Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor, my goodness, they're like, he wouldn't show up for practice and they wouldn't even write about it. And, you know, Bill Barcells was, as long as the guy showed up for, for game day, that's all they cared about. Never wrote a thing about it. Okay. He's retired. Oh, did you know he has a horrible crack addiction? He had it as a rookie in 1981 when he came into the league. Brad Van Pelt, they started going out. He was a rookie. By game two, he was addicted to cocaine, playing on it. 60 Minutes, the, the, did you ever see the 60 Minutes where Lawrence Taylor talks about his uh, football career? You can find it on YouTube, folks. It is mind-boggling. Your mouth will drop. Basically talking about he partied and drank. He did cocaine and drank alcohol six days a week. From the time he left practice until he passed out, whoever he ended up with that night, he wasn't worried about sex. He wasn't worried about any of that. He just wanted to party as much as he possibly can. The only day of the week he didn't party was Saturday night. Mike Wallace asked him, did you ever play high on cocaine? And he was like, I never played hungover. And he would refuse to answer the question. He kept saying, I would never go out the night before. So did you ever play? And he would refuse it. And he looked right in the camera and basically was like, yes, I was whacked out the whole entire time. How did Barcells not know that? How did all these writers see? But they're winning championships. He's the best defensive player in the game. As soon as he was, as soon as he ruptured his Achilles and he was no longer explosive on the outside, all of a sudden it was like, Oh, Lawrence has had it. He's washed up. Well, by the way, he's got a cocaine problem. And then it became an issue. Isn't it? So like Michael Jordan was. The all-time leading scorer, six championships, six MVPs in the finals. Nobody had a problem, anything with the stuff. And it's, all of a sudden, he drafts Kwame Brown, and all of a sudden, you realize that he might not have a brilliant mind in the terms of building the team. And, I'll, oh, okay, he loves stash two West blondes. He paid for girls to do this and that. It's whatever. I'm not, I have no complaints. I'm not saying that. It's just funny how stuff always comes out. Uh, Walter Payton retired on his own terms, and nobody brought up a thing about all the stuff Walter Payton was doing. And But Walter Payton is a great man. So I, we all have our faults and weaknesses. Trust me, I'm nowhere near to being perfect and nowhere near being anywhere near the man that, that Walter Payton was. So I'm not about here to start uh, pointing fingers. But I am going to start pointing my fingers at some pretty goofy stuff, if you don't mind. I, I want to go around and talk some stories because we are going to be talking JFK evidence. I, I want people to give me a call, 888 888- Four six three sixty seven forty eight about these new tapes that were found uh, about LBJ talking to a guy by the name of uh, Kurt LeMay. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the, the one of the stories I want to talk about this one is pretty. This is pretty funny. Now, there's a there's a man by the name of John Goodman. Now I found this story like two days ago, but we've had so many good good stories that. Uh, it's been very difficult for me to to get to this one. But he's a polo club founder. Uh, he's a polo club founder. And uh, recently he adopted his longtime girlfriend, who's 42, by the way, eight, six years younger than this guy. Now, it's it's pretty sad, but there was uh, a fatal car crash, and uh, and Goodman was the one that was, was wrong with it. Uh, he was the one that was wrong in it. And uh, a guy by the name of Scott Patrick Wilson uh, died. Okay, he's a 23-year-old. Well, the family's now suing him. Well, to protect his assets, he's decided... Or he is married, oh, excuse me, married. He has adopted his 42-year-old girlfriend. Now, 
shouldn't something be done? I mean, I, he got to figure out his own way to protect his assets, you know, however he wants to do that. You know, I, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, you're a human being. I'm sure he didn't want to kill the guy in the, in a car accident. Okay. So just like a tip, he's trying to protect himself, but is he going to be able to get away with it? I mean, is he going to be able to go in and be able to adopt a child? Cause shouldn't one of the adoption questions be like, are you going to have sex with the person you adopt? Yes, I am. Well, we can't let you adopt this person. I, I know there's schemes in order to protect yourself, but isn't there one way, even yourself, don't you have to feel a little bit of a slime ball inside to, to know? I mean, you know, if you want to do it for a weekend and play a little cute game with her or something, that's one thing. Okay. But you know, this is a lifetime. This is, oh, this is my, this is my, uh, uh, adopted dad and you're on vacation with them. You know, and I don't know. It's just a little bit weird to me. That stuff is, is pretty nasty. Uh, so 888-463-6748. Uh, we have stories from all over the, the, the web to be talking about now. Uh, when it comes to the Kennedy assassination tape, I'm going to get to this now. And back on uh, November 22nd, 1963, I'm sure uh, everybody that is a United States citizen is aware that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Now, we've had many different uh, people on each side, mostly on the side that there is a conspiracy, saying there was a conspiracy. Now, there's some people, the 27%, that said nothing happened uh, besides the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone and shot John F. Kennedy uh, in Dealey Plaza that day. Well... There was a new tape that's been released. And what's what's interesting about this tape was it had already been released previously by the Lyndon Bain Johnson uh, administration. But when it was released previously, there were many gaps in the tape. And some of these gaps were phone conversations and also uh, conversations with Secret Service agents that were on Air Force One as uh, the, uh, the president before and after he's being sworn in with uh, Jacqueline Kennedy on the plane. Now, in these tapes, he's talking to a guy by the name of Kurt LaHaye. Now, uh, Kurt LaHaye was uh, a man that was totally against John F. Kennedy being elected and was the whole time when uh, he was in office was trying to drum up things and stuff against the president. That was the first conversation that LBJ had with anybody was this guy that was trying to bring down John F. Kennedy. I find that find it awfully interesting that uh that this, he would have, this is the first conversation he would have now uh i was i was started uh, researching this now i've always researched this at times I, you know i'll go through like a, a week or two every year where i you know i'll hear new information and i'll delve into it and kind of get reminded of, of all the stuff well yesterday i found a website uh jfkmysterysolved.com and i went on there and found some absolutely mind blowing new evidence that that had come out and after this, I, if you're part of the 27%, please just take a time and reconsider uh, this actual assassination. Because if you can consider this, as, uh, this assassination, you might also consider the fact that people in our government might be doing bad things and might be doing extremely bad things that can uh, try to control us and get us into situations like the Vietnam War to make a lot of people a lot of money, some really, really bad people a lot of money. Now, I'm going to get into, into that real quick in a second, but my father was the tip of the bayonet. He was uh, the radio operator. He had an extremely difficult job when he fought in the Vietnam War. He got on his belly, crawled into the enemy lines, and radio in. He'd have to take uh, 
Basically, he'd have to figure out uh, with one of those glass things and figure out how far things were away and tell the bombers where to go. And so he was the tip of the bayonet, and, he, and it really affected him. And he was a true patriot to the day he died. He was a, a patriot, loved America, was the type of guy that would, you know, sing the national anthem. Well, oh, totally patriotic. And whenever I would bring up the fact that, you know, I, I thought there was a conspiracy that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone in the JFK assassination, he would legitimately get angry, angry. Saying, you know, I, I'm not patriotic for believing in that. That, uh, our government would never have anything to do with it. Uh, the mafia could possibly not have the tentacles to reach out and do it. LBJ would not have state troopers in, in Texas, you know, doing certain things to make sure people were allowed to get away with certain things. None of this, and it was way too big of a conspiracy to keep quiet and it would never happen. And mostly, I believe that he was so vehement about this because he did not want to believe that uh, basically a year and a half of his life and, and 10 months of that year and a half crawling on his stomach through uh, jungles in Vietnam were wasted because a couple guys that owned certain stocks and companies wanted a war created uh, in Southeast Asia. So I never argued with with him. But anybody else, I'm more than willing to talk about uh, what the heck is going on. Now, uh, when coaches and we've talked about this about three years ago, we had a couple callers really come in and, and really like go all over me about, oh, you know what? The government came out, the War Commission came out, said it was not a conspiracy, that's good enough for me. And and to those people, I'm absolutely, uh, it blows my mind that they would just uh, sit back and just accept a report made up by a bunch of people, some of them like uh, like uh, Henry Dulles, uh, who actually was fired by John F. Kennedy to create this report on the people who supposedly killed Jeff, uh, John F. Kennedy, and so many people that are have testimony in this report have said later they totally changed my testimony. We're not we're not talking like one or ten. We're talking hundreds of people in this report said that major stuff in their testimony was left out and stuff was changed. Yet, twenty seven percent of the people actually believe that uh, that the Warren Commission was right. Well, these tapes that uh, have come out were the undoctored ones by Lyndon Baines Johnson. Okay. Now, uh, the crazy thing, and I should say the crazy thing is that these, uh, tapes are, are, revolve radio traffic involving Air Force One, uh, from, uh, flight from Dallas to Texas, uh, Texas to Andrews Air Force Base on November 22nd, 1963. These only sell them for half a million dollars. And to be quite honest with you, I thought it would be, they would sell something like that for a lot more considering that this is a massive, it's a crucial, Discovery in, uh, and it's a landmark piece of, uh, of American history. So, uh, I'm very, very surprised that they would actually sell for that. So you can actually go on, on Yahoo and find out the story. It's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty short one, but hopefully we're going to find out soon exactly what is on the tapes. But the way they've, uh, written it here on Yahoo, it seems to be explosive and basically links LBJ with uh, one of uh, JFK's biggest rivals. So, But while I was searching for this yesterday, I found some new stuff. So if you go to jfkmysterysolved.com, it comes out with actual documents, CIA documents, and it, it doesn't say we killed Kennedy, but it does talk about connections of certain Chicago crime members. Now, uh, the Chicago uh, syndicate in the in the 1950s was run by a guy by the name of Tony Arcardo. And his number one uh, underling was Sam Giancana. Sam Giancana eventually took over uh, it took over the Chicago Mafia. And Johnny Roselli was kind of like, people thought him as the number one guy in the city of Chicago, but he was like 
the number one guy under Sam Giancana, and he was the face of the Chicago Mafia all over the United States. And I always believe that Sam Giancana played a role in in the assassination of of John F. Kennedy. My co-host John Cohn, who's not in here today, and hopefully, you know, he'll be safe in here tomorrow. I can't wait to see him. He never truly believed me, and then I gave him uh, one book about it called uh, Double Cross, written by Chuck Giancana, Sam's uh, little brother. And after that, he believed. You know, I do believe that the the Chicago outfit was at least aware of the Kennedy assassination attempt before it happened, and they did play a role. So whether you do or not, uh, reading Double Cross would be a, a real good book for you to read. Yes, Dave? And, and you've obviously read Jim Garrison's On the Trail of the Assassins. Oh, oh my goodness. Jim Garrison is a hero of mine. Without, without, if, you, if you think Jim Garrison is just trying to create a name for himself, you're... I think he is. He does want to be the guy that solved the case. I'm not saying he is trying to be that, but to just make something up the way he's been accused of being yeah, is yeah, disgusting you, to me. And you can't just watch that JFK movie because what they did in that movie is they condensed a lot of things that were like spread out. Yes. And they combined characters and everything like that so you didn't get the full picture. I, I, I love the JFK movie. And to everybody out there who says to me, well, Oliver Stone had it all wrong. All those things are wrong in the movie. I will repeat this. Yes, you're exactly right. And that does not mean there was not a conspiracy on November 22nd, 1963, just because there was facts wrong in Oliver Stone's movie. Is that is that summed up well enough? That was truly just, I think that movie was just to just drop it right into your lap. Hey. Wake up and take a look at this. If you don't believe that there were other people involved, you might want to. That I, I believe that. I, hopefully, that's all Oliver Stone was doing, or he's just another part of the misinformation thing. You know, hey, either maybe Oliver Stone is working for the CIA. Make a movie that is so blatantly wrong about the assassination. People believe that. Oh, there couldn't have been a cover up because this is there. Now, you know who else I believe belongs in that is Peter Jennings. Peter Jennings, about eight years ago, did a special about how Sam Giancana, Frank Sinatra. And John F. Kennedy all knew each other. And that John F. Kennedy, Joseph Kennedy, excuse me, and and I'm going to get into this. Joseph Kennedy met with Frank Sinatra to meet with Sam Giancana so they can trade money so Sam Giancana could buy votes for the labor unions. Folks, this is 100% true. This is true. The Chicago outfit, the Chicago Mafia run by Sam Giancana in the late 50s and early 60s, controlled labor unions. If you don't believe that, you need to wake up and, and learn something about American history. They control labor unions in Illinois, Missouri, Nevada, and also West Virginia. In all of those states, the labor unions pretty much voted unanimously for Kennedy in the 1960 election. If Kennedy doesn't win any of those four states, he would not won the Electoral College. Richard Nixon is president in 1960. If you're like, okay, well, they're, they're labor unions. They voted for a Democrat. I want you to think of this. There's a West Virginia coal uh, miner union. I don't know. That, don't remember the name of it. Okay, but you can look this up. This is like one of those huge coincidences in this whole thing. Everybody in this coal miner union, this West Virginia coal miner union, was Protestant. All of them. They voted unanimously for Kennedy in uh, November of 1960. Does that sound suspicious to anybody who is Catholic or Protestant and knows the thousand-year or the 500-year war that's been going on? No Protestant is voting for a Catholic unless they're told, this is our guy and he's going to help out our labor unions. You vote for him. Okay? These are the same unions that controlled Kennedy. Okay? After this happened, after Kennedy was elected, and mind you, if he loses any of those four states, he does not win the 1960 election and Nixon's president in January 61. After Kennedy is elected president, the first thing he does, not to say the first thing he does, 
what he does, he anoints his brother uh, attorney general. And one of the first agendas and the first bid of war is they go to war against the mafia in the United States of America. And Sam Giacana's like, we helped get you elected, and now you're going to war against us? And people say that's the double cross, and that's what happened where uh, the, the, the mafia decided to be used with the CIA and taking out uh, John F. Kennedy, and there was, a, there was rogue members of the CIA, I'm not talking the whole CIA, but rogue members of the CIA that got backstabbed by Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba that wanted Kennedy out too. So it was rogue members of the CIA, it was uh, members of the Chicago outfit, the New Orleans outfit, and also the the Miami outfit, uh, Francisco Traficante in, in Miami and uh, Carlos Marcello. And, and New Orleans also were in at it and used some of their muscle uh, and, and helped the CIA take care of this. Uh, and eventually, all of a sudden, the Kennedys go after them, and they decided to do that. And I also want to thank somebody else about this. Now, consider this. The poor are the people that are going to gain from Kennedy dying. Lyndon Baines Johnson, first and foremost. Okay? So if Lyndon Baines Johnson gonna, is, is going to benefit from this, he would need help in order for Kennedy to be assassinated if he wanted to be president. So he would then have to promise things to people in order for things to get done. Well, people uh, tend to forget that right after the day that Kennedy was buried, 50,000 troops are sent to Vietnam by by Lyndon Bates Johnson signing a bill. Uh, Kennedy was trying to get troops out of Vietnam. He wanted just advisors there. He was going to send equipment. But he was not going to send troops and make it a massive war, even though, heck, we know it's still the Vietnam conflict. It was never a war. Well, so that is so now everybody's grieving over the loss of President Kennedy. Nobody notices that, oh, oh, it's an escalation. A couple weeks later, the Bay of Tonkin starts. And all of a sudden, we all woke up. Hey, can you believe that? We had sent troops there. And all of a sudden, uh, they blew up a mine there. We better. Now we got to really send troops there. Well, who all of a, who makes money off of that? The warmongers, the war machine, which Dwight D. Eisenhower warned us of on his last speech in office. People, you need to look this up. Anybody who's out there, even if you're a Democrat, liberal, and you're like, oh, well, Eisenhower was a Republican. I don't like him. Look up his last speech in office. He warned that an in- war industrial complex was going to take over the United States of America. And guess what? Within two years, he was right. Well, so now the people are going to – so LBJ gets in office. He starts signing troops over there to Bay of Tonkin comes and he's gonna, we're gonna make these guys pay for this. Well think about it, Lockheed Martin. All of a sudden, oh, they start getting contracts. McDonnell Douglas, they start getting contracts. And guess which shipping magnet gets a massive steel shipping contract out of it? Aristotle Onassis. Hmm. He made billions off the Vietnam War. Do you think he may have financed something? Do you think that when he met Jacqueline Kennedy, uh, during the, while, uh, Jack Kennedy was president that he fell in love? I do. Everybody always misses that fact. Aristotle Onassis made billions of dollars when the Vietnam War was created here in the United States. The Vietnam War was created by the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It all connects so beautifully, doesn't it? I don't know. I, I really, truly believe that LBJ was behind it. There's a, there, it, not totally behind it, but he knew of it, and that's why it happened in Dallas. That's why it happened in Texas. So LBJ had certain members of police that uh, that could control it. If you don't believe me, but you're interested in this, there was a there was a, a History Channel special, and if you want to contact me, I'll even let you borrow it if you give me uh, something I can borrow of yours. It's called The Men Who Killed Kennedy. Without question, all of them are alarming. The best part for me, the most disturbing thing, is when the 16 doctors who 
did the autopsy in Dallas at about 1.30, about an hour after President Kennedy was killed, said the body was totally different than the autopsy pictures that happened in the Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. The pictures were totally different, that that was not the same uh, wounds that had occurred to the president when he was shot. So 16 different doctors, not half of them, all of them have signed stuff saying that there's something that happened. All of them have come out, and to this day, some will still, like, they, about once a year, they'll be like, I just want to remind everybody that there was a cover-up. And for the doctors who saw the body right after, okay, why would they lie? Another thing is this, people that worked for Lyndon Baines Johnson in a country home said that on November 21st, 1963, the top five oil magnets in, in Texas, oh, by the way, before I forget, Kennedy was also trying to put a oil, uh, what do you call it, uh, what do you, a, morat- a moratorium on the oil production from Texas. Because he wanted oil reserves. So that was going to cost the Texas oil men billions of dollars. Linda Baines Johnson lifted that, and that was not going to be a problem. There were five mass, oh, five of the biggest Texas oil men at LBJ's house. And J. Edgar Hoover on this, uh, November 21st, 1963. It's not in Hoover's official work or anything, but all the wait staff and the drivers. There was a driver. Why would the driver lie? That was LBJ's driver. For 20 years, said on that night, he picked up all these different people, one of them, J. Edgar Hoover, and it was the night before the JFK assassination, and they were in Dallas. They were right outside of Dallas. So you do the math on that. Why is J. Edgar Hoover with LBJ the night before the assassination? And and it is never admitted to it, and it's not any official documents. When you're supposed to be, like, caught up at all times. Okay? There was a phone number he was at, and it was at a phone that was, it was at a house that was very close to that house that he was at, by the way. Just throwing that out there. I just... I. Me personally, if you don't, if you can't at least think that somebody outside of Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, it's just extremely surprising to me. So, 888-463-6748, as a JFK assassination buff or whatever you want to call me, I find this extremely interesting. So, uh, new evidence, and hopefully one day we'll, we'll be able to actually find out the truth. Now, do you know who James Files is? Uh, well, he's a guy that said he drove Charles Nicoletti. He was a driver, drove Charles Nicoletti to uh, the scene. Charles Nicoletti is one of the greatest marksmen ever. Drove him to Dealey Plaza the day of and from. I don't know why this guy would. And he has, he, it's, they can prove that this guy worked for the CIA from the late 50s to the uh, mid-60s. And someone from the CIA had him drive Charles Nicoletti, which about a 1,000 people can attest. He's the greatest hitman possibly in the history of the United States. Worked for Sam Giancana. This guy drove him to Dealey Plaza. There's another guy by the name of John Radenbacher. This is the best part of the whole thing. This, If this isn't evidence, that does it. John Radenbacher uh, was taking his son to Dealey Plaza in 1987 uh, and telling him the history of uh, the motorcade and the assassination. And he was like, oh, there was supposedly a guy over here and a guy over here. Well, they had metal detectors. Started doing metal detectors. Well, they start digging up around Dealey Plaza. They dug up a bunch of stuff. Two things that they dug up were uh, 22 uh, bullet casings. They're like, wow, look at this. There's a, there's one right here where the, the guy by the grassy knoll supposedly was, and there's a guy over here where uh, on the right behind Adrian Sapruder on the on the gondola. Okay, that's where another person said they saw smoke, and and where one person who had uh, been in World War II said they smelt gunpowder and tasted it. 
I don't know. I would I would trust that guy, considering he was wearing his his army uniform and and was saluting the president as he went by. I really don't think he's going to go out and just say, "Oh yeah, I saw make up a story about somebody getting uh, shooting a gun." Well, as he's over there, they find two bullet casings. They found one, like I said, by the grassy knoll, and the other one by the the gongola. Okay. Well, they uh, they meet another guy who uh, uh, they meet James Files, and James Files, instead of being just a driver, admits that, okay, I was the one who shot. I, they're like, oh yeah, you really shot. He's like, well, if you found the ba- the the bullet casings by the gongola, they'll have my teeth marks in it because I I chew at the bottom. He had never seen the casings yet. He had not seen this, and that's exactly what it was. It was bit down, and his teeth marks. There was teeth marks on the gongola. They went to five different uh, odontologists. On uh, odontologists is that what it's called? O d o n t o odontologists. Five of them said without question, it's uh it's it's human. And they, one guy was even naming the teeth that it was. So they go to the John Radenbacher goes tries to go to FBI. Will you get this tested to see if this is James Files' teeth? They have a mark of his teeth, and the FBI refuses to do it. They will not test to make sure that's if it's John Radenbacher's teeth. And if you believe it, why don't you just put it to bed? Hey, this, the guy's just making it up. We would never be trying to cover something up. So that's that's pretty amazing that a guy who was. They everybody knew drove to Dealey Plaza that day and was trying to stay out of it. Finally admits that he actually shot, and then when he admitted it, he'll say, "You, I had a bullet casing," and it describes it. And the, it was in the ground for 30 years. How could he know that that possibly had been there? Actually, it had been in the ground for 24 years. He had no idea that this existed, and told somebody, "Well, if to prove he was there, that that's what you'll find." I find this kind of suspicious. To to be quite honest with you, honest with you. So uh, 888-463-6748. Um, you know, uh, I, we'll get back into the stories of the weird. I, I, but anybody that wants to talk more about the JFK assassination, I would like to hear more. You can friend me on Facebook, Joel Redwanski. Uh, I'd appreciate it. So um, one thing that happened last night, I'm going to uh, turn, the, turn the, the, the page of something else that I find extremely funny is, or, or cool, is yesterday... Uh, when everybody found out that Don Cornelius had uh, had killed himself, it's pretty sad ar- ar- around the city. Well, you got to love social media. Is that last night at 1540 North Milwaukee, a Soul Train line started, and I'm not talking about just one or two. We're talking thousands of people went to Milwaukee Avenue last night, were lined up and down where the bike path would be, and they just started doing a Soul Train line down Milwaukee Avenue. You know what? You're supposed to give tributes to people. That's getting it done. Doing a soul train line. I mean, that's, that's about as, I, I don't know what people are going to do when I die. I guess I'd probably just go out and buy a bottle of Jack Daniels and drink it and talk conspiracy theory. That'd probably be what probably people would do in order to, to pay tribute to me. But that's a good way to pay tribute to, to, uh, Don Cornelius. I think that's pretty cool. And I got, I got a picture of my boy BVAX up right now. Awfully, awfully good. So, um, now, uh, David, if you were gonna if you're gonna die, what would people do in tribute to you? That I put you on the spot right there. That's that's pretty difficult. Yeah, I I hadn't even considered that. I I have absolutely no idea. I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty limited. I guess maybe go out and, and kayak in January in the middle on the Chicago River for me. That'd be a, a good tribute to me. It'd be something stupid. It wouldn't be something cool like go up and down, you know, do a Soul Train line on, on Milwaukee Avenue. Overeat, sleep in. I hadn't heard about that soul train on. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah, it's and I, I didn't hear about it until late. And I, and to be honest with you, I thought it was going to be at a bar, 
and I didn't feel like going out and spending money because it's not like it's it's pouring into my pocket right now. So I didn't feel like I've been like feels like I've been dropping fifty dollars a night to go out to eat every single day the last couple of weeks. So I was like, uh, you know, I I can't afford to go out. It was just right in the middle of the street. It, it was just this picture is just freaking phenomenal. So I'll I'll get that up for people tomorrow. So you can you'll have to listen tomorrow to see this phenomenal picture. Of my boy Bvax doing the Soul Train line. I I didn't know he could dance like that quite honestly. So eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. Now there's a there's all different types of uh, we we're always talking politics on this show, and yesterday I brought up this story and it, it's about the fact that the Congress is trying to pass a bill that says that if you collect welfare, you cannot withdraw your money into any account that the well if you have basically if you have a welfare check electronically deposited into an account. You can't take money out of that account at a strip club, a liquor store, a bar, or a casino. Okay, I touched on it at the end of the show yesterday, and I mean, I think we have to talk about this a little bit more than the you know than what we did yesterday. I wanted to come back to it, but I find this an extremely good idea because if if you're going to be just depositing money into somebody's account for them to be doing the right things like taking care of their kids, maybe paying their rent, paying their phone bill or their car note. I don't think they should be able to be taking money out at casinos and, you know, liquor stores, you know, and the truth of the matter is they can still go to casinos. They can still go to liquor stores. They can do all that. But I think it just sends a message. It's just simple. Like they shouldn't be getting money out there. If you want, if they're going to blow the money at the casino, they can go to a bank, deposit and walk to casino. I'm not an idiot, but if it deters 1% of them, I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And and I do know one thing. If I'm passing, I'm sorry, if I'm passing a liquor store, I have a tendency to go in. If I have some money, I'm like, oh, I'm going on the train. I got to ride home. Oh, I'll get a 40 ounce. I'll listen to some music. I'll read the internet and I'll drink a 40 ounce. You know what? If I don't have any money in my pocket, I most likely will not go and stop that. So maybe that it's, it's a good thing, David. I'm not exactly sure how to, how to, how to look at it, but I do know this. If it 1% of the time people are less likely to take wealth for money, and it's probably a good idea to, uh, to eliminate that stuff. Yeah, I mean, casinos and strip clubs, obviously, but mm-hmm. part of the issue with the liquor stores is, is like some of these neighborhoods, mm-hmm. the only ATM machines are in the liquor stores. So what do those people do? That's a good point. That is, that is, that is a real good point. And, uh, yeah, I work right by the Montgomery Ward buildings, and the last remnants of what would be the Cabrini Green complexes are, are still there. Yeah, you got that little stretch of Larrabee still there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's it's amazing. There's only one place for anybody to go shopping unless they have to walk all the way to either that Jewel or Dominic's. What is it on the corner of Clybourne and Division? To Dominic's. Okay. I, I, I went in there one day, and the woman said, oh, she, I, I have no idea what she said to me. Okay. And I was like, excuse me? And she turned to her friend, and she's like, nobody up in here know what I'm saying. And she's like, it was just one, it was just really fun. I just, I kind of like felt bad. It was, but that's the only place besides that there's nowhere else besides liquor stores to actually go shopping. You're, you're exactly right. Cause there, there have been times where I parked or had my friends park and we were walking and I'm like, Oh, I need this before I can eat a bottle of water. And it's, it's, it's a liquor store and that's the only business for a whole mile in each direction. And there's legitimately 20 people outside. And like you're, like you're almost afraid to walk up to the liquor store if you just needed a bottle of water. So we just walk past. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. And that's what it's referred to a food desert. You know, that's, that's one of the things that they've, they've been trying to change in the city. 
So, uh, so when you see a church, a liquor store, and a cash station machine, a church, a liquor store, and a cash station machine, is that a food desert? And then abandoned, abandoned house, abandoned building, and well, then another liquor say, store. I mean, you know, the only place where you can get any kind of food is at the liquor store. You know, for a mile in either direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they gotta walk and walk and walk and walk. Cause like, cause right where that's at, <clears throat> excuse me, the only, the only two places in that entire area where you can get food is that you can either go to the Dominic's there, or you can walk over the, the to the White Hand, which is probably a 7-Eleven uh-huh. now, down on, um, Chicago and State. Chicago and State? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, but th- those yeah. are the only two places in that entire thing. Yeah, you got to walk all the way to to Whole Foods. Oh, yeah, but the, yeah, yeah. Then the, yeah, there's also that... uh There's a grocery store there. And Trader, Clay, yeah, they, Trader Jones is a little bit further yeah, south, yeah, too. Yeah, right, right there off the Viagra Triangle. There's but that. I, I know what you mean, because before they put that massive Costco in on the, the, the Clybourne uh, Diversity Triangle right there, at that same corner on the north side, there was a liquor store slash like grocery store, and there wasn't much to choose from. It had like the half slice of loaf of bread, and the, so I, you know, that was the only place I go. When I moved, because I moved, it, it was like I lived on Clybourne, like twenty eight fifty North Clybourne, and I came from Wellington, from Lincoln Park. My buddy drove me there, and like we parked a brand spanking new massive. uh like apartment, it was gorgeous. My buddy's like, three of us live here, three thirty-three each. I'm like, heck yeah, I'm moving in. I had no idea that we lived across some Lathrop apartments. And I'm not kidding you. After I moved in, my buddy's like, hey, if the Bulls win the championship, you can't go outside. I'm like, what? And uh, and they were like, yeah, we were told, yeah, it gets rough on. And I was like, is Lathrop Homes that bad? I, I can't even tell you. I would ride my bike, and it was a food. You're exactly right. It was a food desert. The only spot to get any food anywhere was the liquor store, unless I like had to take like public transportation. I still had to walk like a like a half a mile to get to the to the liquor store. But it, it was. I, you're exactly right. There was no other place at all, and everybody in the neighborhood shopped there. These people were making money hand over fist, charging like two dollars for a half a bed of. Uh, I was better off just going to McDonald's. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two bucks for you know twenty ounce Coke and mm-hmm. you know that stuff. Yeah, yep. It, 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 like three dollars get money out of the cash station machine. Yeah, we accept Link. Yeah, they they certainly did. Oh my goodness. And uh, yeah, and I would see people in there that you can't buy alcohol with Link, can you? You can't buy any of that stuff. I don't no, think. No, okay. you can't. No. Because mm-hmm. I I was able I mean, to figure that out because it, I got the, they had the not, cash. It, it, with the Link, you can't. Uh, with the WIC cards, I think you can. You can, I, I'm I'm virtually positive you can. You know, and that's that's a whole nother. You know, that's that's a whole nother conversation with. You know, that's really where you need to start with the welfare reform and everything like that is by saying, okay, look, you know, this is what you can buy and this is what you can't buy. It would you know? make sense. It would make sense. And you know what, people, should you be able to buy potato chips and all that other stuff? And people are like, oh, that's you know, that's wrong. People should be allowed to. Eat what they want. Well, if you're eating potato chips and drinking pop and eating candy all day, guess what? You're on welfare already, so you're getting free health insurance. You're going to be needed health. You're going to be a diabetic. Well, yeah, and need well, health yeah insurance exactly. Then. Exactly. It's a vicious circle. You know, it's yeah. They, the problem is junk food is the cheapest food that is out there. Yes. Yes. You know, and, and it's you, the most addictive. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like all right. Well, for you know five bucks. You can go down and you can get yourself, you can get a head, a head of lettuce, uh, and a bag of carrots. Or you can go down to McDonald's, you can get a Big Mac, an extra large fry, 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, a, a, an extra large Coke and even an apple pie for five bucks. Yes. So which one are you going to choose and which is going to be more filling? That's, that's the problem. That is a huge problem. I, I, I try to make all, I try to eat in as much as possible. I, I, I really do. I, because, uh, not only for, I, I can make it extremely inexpensive for me. I, I just don't like what, I don't trust that anybody else puts in it, but you, so I'm not going to eat that McDonald's or, or any of that stuff. So I, I look at it differently and I think it's more because I'm vain and paranoid than, and I'm not lazy about making food. To me, it's like, I, I actually enjoy the preparation of making food. I, I kind of file like kind of like ritualistic for me, but a lot of people they don't, they just rather just sit there watch television and have food dumped on their lap. I've I've been through that. I I went through like a poisonous like five year period of of my life like that, and and hopefully I, I'll ne- I'll never do it again. I know that that I'll never go back to to any of that, but I I can understand that. It's a vicious cycle. It's definitely it's definitely hard to get out of without question. It's hard to get out of. So there's there's got to be some type of welfare reform. I, it starts with that. Yeah, I guess that would be pretty, that would be difficult. I don't know how you get money at that point, but, uh, you could have a debit card, right? So if these people have, if they're buying groceries at a liquor store, I mean, can't they, can't they just have like a check card? So they maybe don't even need well, cash yeah, that's, at that well, point. Well, that, that's, that's what a WIC card is. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, that's what a WIC card is. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, you go to one of the, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about those. It's in the city of Chicago, you got these liquor stores that are slash one third grocery stores. Uh, a lot of, you get the spam there. Uh, so you get some really delicious shoulder meat. Usually you get a good deal on some sardines, which are, are good for you. That's probably the healthiest food that you're going to get inside there. And then, and then the bags of chips. So, uh, uh, whatever. It's all good. So 888-463-6748. Definitely have stores from all over, uh, all over the internet now. Um, one one thing that I saw that was kind of encouraging is um there was a, there was a little girl who saw a story or she saw uh the fact that these potato chips that she saw excuse me let me, let me get this right here. I want I don't want to make this up she wanted to make a it, difference it was it, are you talking about the letter with the bread yes yeah, yes it was, it was a loaf it was a bread it was a loaf of bread mm-hmm. and uh she she didn't like the fact that the the Sansbury's company was called the tiger. She said, you know, it reminds me more of a giraffe. So her mom's like, well, maybe you should write something about it. So the girl's like, okay, I will. I think she should be called a giraffe. So she decided to write a letter to the company, a three-and-a-half-year-old girl. It's a pretty simple letter. Sends it into the company, and change was made. They now call the Sansbury bread is now the, the giraffe bread because it's like a long neck-like stretch. So if you're out there and you're thinking, hey, you know what, maybe I could uh, make a little change. You know what, write a letter. Do something. You know, recently I, I had a product that did not work. I did not know it wasn't working properly. And all of a sudden, it just quit working. I went back to the company, wrote a nice letter saying, it's too bad, I really love this product, but it doesn't work and I don't have the receipt. Two days later, they sent me the fixed thing and I, I didn't know it was broke then and they just sent it to me immediately. If you have an issue, put a little sugar on it, write a comment, send in something nice, and you'll get everything that you want. I, I, I promise you that. Uh, I'm not very good at a lot of things. My life is a mess and it's upside down, but when it comes to going into a retail store or on the phone and trying to get what you want, I always get what I want. And, and I always start with being extremely nice and say, you know, it's probably my fault. And then next, you know, oh, no, it isn't. If you go in angry, trust me, I used to work at a retail environment. If you go in and you're like, I demand satisfaction, I demand it now, the first thing I used to do is like, how am I going to get this guy away from me as quickly as I possibly can and without helping him? Just it's human nature. So just thought I'd throw it out there. So Coach will be back tomorrow, and we're doing – 
a Super Bowl preview. I have talked very little Super Bowl. The only Super Bowl we talked today is we mentioned that Peyton Manning didn't want to upstage Tom Brady and his brother Eli in the Super Bowl and that it was in Indianapolis. But we'll get more in depth on that. Coach will be here tomorrow. We'll have our Beat the Schmo pick, so you better have yours. It'll definitely be the game. It'll definitely be the over-under, and we'll figure out what the other one is. This is Joel Redwanski. Dave Olson, thank you very much for everything you did for me this week. And the coach will be back tomorrow, folks, so you don't have to worry. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Joel Redwanski, two guys in a mic, and we're signing off.